When a lighthouse beacon turns on and off all by itself, people are likely to take notice. This is especially true if the lighthouse has been out of service for more than a century, and truer still if there's no lamp to light the lens and no power to light the lamp. Who or what lights up the long, dark, old Presque Isle beacon on warm summer nights? No one is quite sure, but curious tourists and ghost hunters now frequent the old sentinel, hoping to solve this old mystery. Hey there, and welcome to your pocket sailing instructor. I'm Penny Caldwell, and I have been a sailing coach for over 25 years now. I'm here to help you reach your sailing goals, whether you're looking for gear reviews, safety tips, or just some fun sailing stories. This podcast will have it all. Your Pocket Sailing Instructor is an educational and fun podcast about all things sailing. I plan on releasing weekly episodes every Thursday to help you end off your week on a high note. So grab your coffee and join me for your weekly dose of all things sailing. Hey guys, happy Thursday and welcome to my first episode on Maritime Mysteries and Mishaps. This week we are looking at the old Presque Isle Lighthouse. I'm going to tell you a tale of the haunting of the old Presque Isle Lighthouse and I'm also going to introduce you to the Witch of November. So if you are a Great Lakes sailor, you are probably familiar with the Witch of November, sometimes called the November Witch. Uh, Basically, it's a late fall storm known only in the Great Lakes. Uh, So the Great Lakes are freshwater seas and they're so large that they produce their own weather systems. And the water temperature of the Great Lakes is still quite warm in the fall. And when we have the cold air coming down from the north, it collides with the warm air over the lake. uh, And it produces really, really severe storms in the area, bringing huge winds uh, up to uh, 100 miles an hour and quite large waves on the lake. So this is where the Witch of November was born. So the Presque Isle Lighthouse was created to help navigators in the area seek shelter and uh, now I'm going to tell you a little story and introduce you to the old Presque Isle lighthouse. The eastern extremity of Lake Superior and the northern extremities of Lake Michigan and Huron form a watery vortex. It is here that the three mightiest of the Great Lakes come together, Lakes Michigan and Huron by way of the narrow Straits of Mackinac, and Lake Superior with the rest of the Great Lakes via the St. Mary's River and the Sioux Locks. Some of the heaviest shipping traffic on the planet once passed through these bottlenecks, which still, still carry far more than their share of maritime commerce. It's also here that some of the most powerful Midwestern storms strike, often during the month of November, and their effects on ships and lives can be devastating. In 1975, a November storm claimed the famed Edmund Fitzgerald, along with 29 seamen in eastern Lake Superior, only a few dozen miles from the locks of Sault Ste. Marie. A November blizzard in 1958 took the Carl C. Bradley and drowned 
33 seamen in northern Lake Michigan, not many miles west of the Straits. And in November 1913, one of the most powerful Midwestern storms in history destroyed dozens of ships and hundreds of lives on Lake Huron, many of them in the upper reaches of the lake. Maritime officials were long ago aware that this region was strategic and that it was a dangerous place for ships and their crew. For this reason, some of the oldest lighthouses on the Western Great Lakes were built here, often to mark bays and harbors through thought to offer safety during a storm. One such lighthouse was the 30-foot rubblestone tower built on Presque Isle in 1840. Its relatively crude and not particularly bright beacon was intended to guide mariners into the harbor on the south side of Presque Isle, where they sometimes sought shelter from storms or anchored while their crews gathered cordwood to stoke the boilers. The name Presque Isle was given to this place by French trappers during the 18th century. It seemed almost an island, or more loosely translated, not an island, and indeed Presque Isle is no island. A narrow neck of land links it to Michigan mainland, forming what is in effect a T-shaped peninsula. The trappers who named Presque Isle may themselves have thought the area was haunted. There's little evidence that they tarried here for long, even though the harbor was good and food and beaver were plentiful in local forests. Despite its advantages, Presque Isle was not destined to attract a large population. With the assistance of the lighthouses established and run by the federal government, many harbors along the shores of the Great Lakes became thriving ports, but that didn't happen at Presque Isle. Perhaps in part, it was frustration over this fact that led to construction of a new and more impressive Presque Isle lighthouse following the Civil War. Navigators had complained that the original lighthouse was woefully inadequate. The tower was too short and its light was too weak for the beacon to be seen from any significant distance out on Lake Huron. What was needed was a lighthouse with a much taller and much more powerful lens. Funded by a substantial appropriation from Congress, just such a structure was completed in 1871 on a site a mile or so north of the existing lighthouse. Once the new Presque Isle beacon began to shine, the original lighthouse was no longer needed. The keeper's residence was boarded up and the lantern room was removed from the tower along with the lamp, lens, and other critical lighting equipment. Afterward, the historic lighthouse was allowed to slowly deteriorate and run by the turn of the 20th century. It had almost fallen into ruin. By that time, the crumbling residence and tower probably looked more spooky and haunted than they do today. The decaying structures might have collapsed and vanished altogether if not for a prominent Lansing family, Michigan family, who had happened to be fascinated by lighthouses. In 1900, the lighthouse was purchased for $70 at a tax sale by Bliss Stebbins, owner of the nearby Grand Lake Hotel. Stebbins intended the historic buildings to serve as the centerpiece of a picnic ground and enjoyed by guests of his hotel and the structures were used in this way for many years. Eventually, the property was taken over by other members of the wealthy Stebbins family, who had made considerable fortunes with their car manufacturing, farm equipment, and military businesses in Lansing. They rebuilt the keeper's dwelling for use as a summer retreat, and also restored the crumbling 30-foot tower. 
To make it look like a real lighthouse again, they replaced the tower's missing top portion with a lantern room salvaged from another abandoned lighthouse. They even managed to obtain a surplus Fresnel light and installed it in the tower. An ordinary light bulb was placed inside the lens, and from time to time it was switched on at night to the delight of local children and romantic summertime visitors. By the 1950s, the old lighthouse had become something of a tourist attraction. Each summer, visitors flocked to Presque Isle, and many knocked on the door of the restored residence, asking for a tour and perhaps a chance to climb up the stairs to the top of the tower. Usually these requests were granted, but the constant comings and goings of visitors made it difficult for the owners to enjoy their retreat. Always business-minded, the Stebbins family finally gave in to the inevitable and turned the property into a profitable living history museum. Caretakers were hired to serve as live-in keepers of the old Presque Isle Lighthouse and Museum. In 1977, George and Lorraine Paris took over as keepers of the facility. A retired electrician, George Paris was a people-loving extrovert, and he put on quite a show for museum visitors. Sporting a lighthouse service uniform and an old-fashioned beard, Paris took them up the hand-hewn stone tower steps, telling jokes and stories as he went. In the lantern room, he explained how the Fresnel lens worked, how it guided freighters, and how it saved the lives of sailors who might never have seen the lighthouse in the daytime or shaken the hand of its keeper. Tourists often begged Paris to turn on the old Presque Isle beacon and let it shine once more over Lake Huron, but this he could not do. The Coast Guard had ordered the Stebbins family and their museum caretakers not to light the beacon since it did not appear on nautical charts and might confuse navigators. To make sure this order was not or could not be violated, Paris had disconnected the electric lines that supplied power to the lantern room. For most visitors, the absence of an active beacon did not detract from their museum experience. The ebullient personality of George Paris was all the light they needed, and he brightened the day of nearly everyone who walked through the museum door. Paris loved his work and kept at it right up until he died of a heart attack on New Year's Day in 1992. It was later that year that the old Presque Isle ghost light first appeared. Lorraine Paris was the first to see the light. Grieving for George, Lorraine had not at first wanted to return to her duties at Presque Isle, but she soon decided to resume her life as caretaker of the museum. The 1992 tourist season had begun much as it had in years past, though sadly without George Paris. Visitors came, enjoyed the exhibits, climbed the tower, took in the spectacular views from the lantern room, and then left. Things seemed to have settled down to a routine. That is, until one evening in early May, when Lorraine was driving back to the museum from the trip into town to pick up supplies. She happened to glance up at the tower, and what she saw there took her breath away. The light was shining. How could that be? Lorraine was deeply concerned, and all sorts of troubling possibilities came to mind. Had someone had some mistake been made? During those confused months after her husband's death, had someone restored electricity to the lantern room and placed a fresh bulb inside the lens? Or had somebody broken into the tower during her brief absence? Lorraine didn't know what to think, but when she arrived at the lighthouse, she found no one in the tower, no light in the lantern room, and the power supply disconnected, just as it, just as it had been for more than a decade. 
Surely she had just been imagining things, Ursula Lorraine thought. She continued to think that until the light appeared again, about a week later. And this time, Lorraine wasn't the only one to see the ghostly beacon. Other Presque Isle residents and summer visitors reported that they had seen it too. Some observers noticed that the beacon they saw wasn't glaring and white like the light produced by an incandescent bulb. Instead, it was a soft, pale yellow glow, like the light generated by an old-fashioned oil lamp. Someone said they had trained a set of binoculars on the tower at night and seen a distinct figure moving about the lantern room. Inevitably, news of the ghost light's appearance attracted attention, and by midsummer, crowds had begun to gather along the shore at night, hoping to see it. Usually, they were not disappointed. As if it were being turned on and off by a keeper with a pocket watch in his hand, the light came to life shortly after sunset and disappeared again at dawn. The crowd murmured, who could it be up there turning on the light? Nearly everyone agreed that it must be old George. Well, sure, it's George, said Lorraine. George, George was an electrician, and who else would know how to turn on the light except God and an electrician? Eventually, the light attracted official notice as well. Boaters had reported seeing an uncharted beacon at the head of the Presque Isle Harbor, and before long, the U.S. Coast Guard officer gave Lorraine a call concerning the light. Reminding her that an uncharted navigational beacon could pose a threat to boaters, he told her the light must be kept off at all times. I'll be very happy to turn off the light, Lorraine replied, but first, you'll have to explain to me how it comes on. Later, a Coast Guard technician turned up to see if he could identify the source of the light. Naturally, he focused his attention on the lantern room at the top of the tower and on the antique Fresnel lens it housed. He made absolutely certain that the wires that once supplied electricity to the bulbs inside the lens had been cut. He rotated the big lens to change the angle of its prisms. Then, when night came, he made sure all of the lights were off in the museum and the tower itself, but all this was to no avail. The light came on anyway. The Coast Guard's men decided to try one more last thing. He requested that all of the lights in the area be temporarily doused. This even included the beacon at the nearby new Presque Isle Lighthouse, which remains to this day an active aid to navigation. Even when the entire area was plunged into darkness, the ghost light continued to shine. In fact, it was brighter than ever. The inspector shrugged his shoulders, packed up his equipment, and prepared to leave. In his opinion, the ghost light wasn't powerful enough to confuse mariners and create a navigational hazard, so the U.S. Coast Guard would wash its hands of the matter. So what was producing the light? He had no idea. Maybe it was some sort of stray reflection off the moon or the stars, but whatever it was, he was unwilling to endorse the notion that the ghost of George Paris was turning on the light. Others were not so sure. Later that summer, during a family picnic near the lighthouse, a young mother brought her little girl to the museum. They had planned to climb the tower to enjoy the view from the lantern room, but no sooner had the girl started up the steps than she returned around and ran screaming. She said she had seen a man up there, a man with a beard, and he had frightened her. Both Lorraine Paris and the girl's mother checked the tower, but there was no one either on the steps or in the lantern room. They asked the girl to describe the man she had seen. He was tall, had white hair and a beard, and he was wearing glasses. It was a description that could have easily matched George Paris. 
Over the years since 1992, the ghost light of Presque Isle has continued to shine. People still see it both from the shore and from boats out on the lake. More than once over the past two decades, mariners have claimed the light guided them to safety during storms. When they showed up at the museum to thank the keeper, they were told that there was no official light and no official keeper. The guiding light they followed is the famed spirit light of Presque Isle, and its keeper, if there is one, is George Paris. Thanks again for joining me for this uh, Thursday story about the old Presque Isle Lighthouse. I hope you enjoyed this shorter bonus episode, and I look forward to seeing you next Thursday. Have an amazing week.